Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. I'm your host, Nina Pantic. I'll be joined in this episode by my co-host, Irina Falcone, and our special guest is Taylor Townsend, who reached the fourth round of the U.S. Open just last year. She's currently ranked number 73 and tells us about her quarantine life and how she's doing in Atlanta. Townsend turned pro at just 15 years old and was a world number one ranked junior in 2012, having won the Junior Australian Open, as well as a number of doubles junior slams. She just won her first WTA title in doubles in Auckland this year. We talk about her career, her start, how she became a lefty after starting off as a righty, who influenced her game the most, and a lot about the coronavirus pandemic and how she thinks the world is going to change indefinitely after this. Let's jump into our episode with Taylor Townsend. All right, Taylor, welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me. Let's start with where you are in the world right now and how your quarantine life is going. Um, I'm at home in Atlanta and um, it's it's pretty weird, actually. At first, it was like kind of nice just to have some time off. But just obviously, I think every tennis player is so used to having their routine and having something and somewhere to go all the time and something to do. So now I'm just trying to find like different things to do, like reading a book (laughs) and um, like painting and picking up different instruments. So just trying like different things outside of my comfort zone to like keep myself challenged. But honestly, it's pretty hard because it's much easier to watch Tiger King. Um, Which instrument are you actually taking up? Um, I'm trying to learn how to play the piano. So I went and got a keyboard. So yeah, I'm like trying to do that. Imagine all the random That's sales, a- like for things like that, like pianos. No, I, bought, no, no. I bought a puzzle. It's insane. I'm like, what am no, I doing? No, like I bought, I bought eight puzzles. <laughs> I bought like 27 canvases, like 17 different things of paint. So it's like, yeah, I'm definitely going to use all of this. But like, I've convinced myself I am. So at some point, it's going to get to where it's like I just have to use it just for the principle of the fact that I bought it. That's funny. You were talking about the piano because like yesterday I was just for fun. I was like, oh, let me see if there's any pianos around that maybe are for sale. And like like everybody and anybody is selling their keyboard because they're like, all right, you know, people want to do different things. And whether it's reading, painting, like a lot of people are in the same boat as you. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you have to find something because it's just like, I mean, it's for me, it's only so much TV I can watch. It's only so much like time I'm going to be outside playing with my dogs, especially while it's allergy season. I'm like sneezing nonstop. So, yeah. I get that. And it's also challenging because, oh, well, it actually feels a little bit different now. I feel like the guilt of, of like doing things like watching TV and reading books and playing, pu- making puzzles, it's kind of, it's not there anymore. You don't feel like I should be training, I should be working out, right? But you still are trying to find ways to maintain your fitness and your tennis in some, some capacity. Yeah, of course. I mean, my trainer sends virtual workouts every day and um, I've been doing different things as well, like been doing a lot more stuff outside. I've actually started getting into like 
real hiking. So like I bought hiking boots and everything and just like trying to do something that I usually wouldn't do during my season. Like, you know, just trying to kind of make the most out of this kind of stuff and, and even like just doing whatever I can outside. But obviously the structural the structural things come first but, and then the fun stuff comes later. That's awesome that you're buying all these different things and you're going hiking. I mean, that is the one thing that I've kind of told many people you just got to see as a, as a positive time to be able to do so many different things, you know? Um, and one of the things is so funny hearing you talk about uh, training and everything. I just recently spoke, was talking with my coach and he's like, oh, you know, make sure you go out there and hit. And I'm like, for what? You know, it's like at least another, it's another like three months before we're actually probably going to get on court, if that. And then, I mean, you pretty much just need four to six weeks to kind of remember how to hit a tennis ball because chances are you haven't forgotten, right? Yeah, exactly. So the virtual workouts, is it all like bodyweight stuff or did you have to buy equipment at all? No, it's all bodyweight stuff. And they send basically like videos and demonstrations of, um, of how to do the exercise and then it's it's on an, on their app. So it's really cool because everyone that's in the gym is in a group chat. So if someone has a question and they ask, you can just kind of go through the chat feed or you can ask the coaches or the, the f- trainers like individually and say, hey, like, you know, how do you do this or can you explain this a little bit further? And they um, my trainer asked for a video just to be able to say, OK, you know, next set do this or that so I'll send him videos like while I'm working out so that he can kind of send corrections as it's going so yeah we're just trying to make the best of it but it's really cool and my trainer and like his company have been kind of prepared for situations like this and kind of have the app to be able to you can you know reference and um just to have some sort of structure outside of like what you're used to so before yeah. all this happened, you were actually having a pretty decent year. You're ranked number 73 in the rankings are frozen. And you had a doubles world, uh, WTA title, your first one in Auckland with Asia Muhammad. You also won the mm-hmm. Oracle Challenger in Indian Wells with Asia. How would you say your year was going before everything kind of shut down? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it was um, going well. Definitely, like, I had a tough singles match in the Oracle tournament. But for me to be able to kind of, like, pull, to, with, pull together with Asia and um, get a win um was amazing and kind of like continue our streak and it just gives you confidence like even though I didn't play well my singles I felt really good going actually into BMP so I was really excited to get back on court and compete in singles um and you know it's unfortunate that all this stuff has happened but I mean I am pretty happy with how my year has been going so far but you know I'm always looking to continue to improve so it's kind of hard to talk about, like, you know, tennis, like where you want to be because you just everything is so uncertain right now. But um, I could definitely take the positives from, you know, the hard work that I put in during the off season and seeing like, you know, how that kind of transferred. So before the whole coronavirus thing uh, was happening, what were some of the goals that you and your coach were kind of writing down and had in mind for the remainder of the year? Well, I set personal goals. I mean, I wanted to hit top 50 before um, the U.S. Open came around. Obviously, I was playing world team tennis the full season. So um, just with the way that it was happening this year, um, I wasn't going to miss any of the tournaments that I usually miss during the U.S. Open series. So I would have been able to play like City Open or San Jose or um, Cincinnati and all the tournaments that I usually miss during world team tennis, I would have been able to play. So I really was looking forward to kind of doing that. But um, that was a personal goal that I had. 
And, you know, I still have it. It's just, like I said, the uncertainty of when things will be able to kick off again is just really hard to kind of say, like, you know, what you want to to accomplish or what you want to do, because it's just so uncertain of how much we're going to be able to play. But um, I still keep that goal in the forefront of my mind and I'm, um, you know, motivated to, to reach that and then continue to go beyond that as well. And, and with the tennis world, you know, with our lives, there's so much structure, there's so much routine of traveling the world every single week. Um, this whole uncertainty is can definitely get you out of your comfort zone. Are you embracing the uncertainty about it or does it make you anxious? Because I was I speak, I've spoken to a few players and they're just pretty much I mean, it just really gives them a lot of anxiety and they're just really struggling with it. Yeah. I mean, at first I was doing okay just because I was like, obviously motivated with other things. Like, wow, like I have so much time to do this, that, and third. But now like, I'm, especially it's weird that we're having this conversation because I mean, today, like I was struggling like a lot. It rained all day today. So, um, I didn't really get a chance to do much of anything outside. So I've just kind of been in the house, just like trying to do things, but find myself just sitting on the couch with my dogs. And, (laughs) so um, just yeah, like today, especially like I've been struggling with the the more time that goes by and the more that kind of we're out of our routine, the harder that it is because like you said, it is constant. I mean, basically nine months out of the year, we're doing pretty much the same thing. If we're not on the road, then we're home and we have our structure and we have our schedule. So I wouldn't say that I have anxiety, but it's definitely getting harder to keep things in perspective. And the things that I was kind of like excited about before, it's like, you know, I, I kind of have to have a shift of like, I guess, motivation or whatever you want to call it to just stay in a good headspace because it is pretty hard. I'm I'm naturally not a homebody anyway. So um, that's why I was so quick to try to like do other things. But, you know, that kind of stuff gets boring after a while as well. So <laughs> I don't know. I'm just, you know, you kind of have to take it day by day. Does It does kind of get, you get kind of stuck in a rut every time. Like you're in a 10,000 piece puzzle and you're like, what am I doing with my life? And then you switch to like playing with your dogs and then you switch to like going for a walk and then it's raining. It's exactly, I, I'm not a, I'm not on tour obviously, but I feel that pain. You mentioned world, yeah. te- you mentioned world team tennis. So before everything happened, one of the last pro matches, everyone um, that happened was the world team tennis celebrity all-star match. It was in San Diego on March 1st, and it's something that you were a part of with a bunch of huge players. What was that doubles match? And I guess it was double singles, mixed doubles, same as a world team tennis match with Maria mm-hmm. Sharapova kind of coming in there to not play, but hang out. What was that like? Yeah, it was a really fun um, environment and setting. Um, obviously, like, I've played world team tennis for a lot of years, so I kind of knew what to expect. Um, I didn't expect to have to play all three matches, but hey, it is what it is. <laughs> It was really fun. It was just kind of like a more relaxed setting of, you know, trying to entertain, um, being able to speak to Maria pretty much for the first time I've ever was really cool just to be outside of the, the competitive environment. Um, so, you know, it was it was very cool. It was very fun. Um, I got a chance to chat with Madison Keys and I haven't really spent a lot of time with her for a really long time. So it was nice just to kind of be around all those people and just kind of be you know, in a team environment. So um, it was a lot of fun. And they always do such a great job in San Diego um, at the facility and at that venue was packed. And, you know, it was really great. They did a great job. So I was really happy to be part of it. We just didn't know that that would be one of the last matches that people could take part in. And uh, (laughs) World Team Tennis has been, 
Wilton has, has been a big part of your career. You've absolutely crushed it the past few seasons. You're an MVP. You played mostly for the Philadelphia Freedom. So that means a lot of time, I guess, with Billie Jean King, right? Do you guys have a relationship? Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, over the years, I've kind of developed a relationship with Billie. Um, and obviously, playing on her team and spending you know time with her over those three weeks more intimately versus in passing or her possibly watching a match or two like here or there. She doesn't really like to be seen. So she's kind of in the cut all the time. You won't even know that she's there. Um, so yeah, during world team tennis, obviously having three weeks to be able to spend time with her, have dinner, have breakfast. Um, a couple of years she was actually on court. So it was really cool to be able to be around someone that has so much information about the game on both sides from the aspect of like the business as well as, um, as a player and as a former player, as well as someone who's heavily involved in the tour, you know, even to this day, you know, it's just really cool to be around someone that has so much passion. You know, I don't think I've ever met someone so passionate about what they do even to this day. So, um, I've learned a lot from her and, um, you know, she's great to have around. That's awesome. I mean, not everyone can say, Hey, I have a great relationship with, uh, you know, Billie Jean King. What a legend. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Hey guys, Irina here. Today we're with special guest WTA star Taylor Townsend, who's telling us all about playing for World Team Tennis Philadelphia Freedoms team, along with her relationship with Billie Jean King. Keep listening. Now looking back at your U.S. Open last year, it's such a shame because you have your absolute Grand Slam breakthrough happened. You beat Simona Halep in a third set tiebreaker, which is just, it was just madness. How do you even look back at that experience now, maybe knowing this year it might you might not get to go back on that site again? Yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate. But like I said, I mean, honestly, like it's not just me. It's everybody that plays the sport as well as any other sport. So it's not just like me that's affected by it. But I mean, obviously, like it's sad. But I mean, it's great that they kind of worked really fast to be able to figure out what they were going to do with the rankings and so forth and so on. So when things pick back up, then you can kind of sort of picked up where you left off um, in terms of ranking standpoint of you being able to make it into tournaments and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's really sad, but, you know, it's just the state of the world right now. We, it's nothing that we can do about it, but, you know, do our part to try to contain it as much as we can, follow the directions of what people are telling us is so social distancing, stay at home and just try to make sure that we do everyone does their individual part to try to get this done as fast as we can because I think everyone is kind of ready to go back to quote unquote their normal lives in a sense though do you guys think that I mean life as it were do you think it'll be the same as it were like I just feel like people are just going to be like over the top germaphobes after this whole incident and then I think eventually, like, it'll, you know, it'll calm down a little bit. But I mean, if someone just even remotely just gets something stuck in their throat and coughs, just like, (laughs) I'm like, whoa, whoa, back up. Like, I'm not taking any chances whatsoever. 
I just I, I just wonder how different everyone's going to be, like how much cl- like cleanliness is just going to be the number one priority for so many companies now. And I I know that it, it'd be great if U.S. Open does happen and everything, but you got to feel for the Asian tournaments that are probably not going to happen due to this whole thing. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely another thing because that whole swing is right after the the U.S. Open. It's a couple, probably four to five weeks of tournaments that are there, as well as the year in championships is what, Singapore, right? Uh, Shenzhen. Shenzhen. So, yeah, so, I mean, that's definitely a huge chunk for for us as a tour. But, yeah, I mean, I think if anything, this is a learning lesson as well of, like, how you should be conducting things from the very beginning. Cleanliness should be a top priority when it comes to venues and places where you are interacting with people from all over the world who have different standards of cleanliness, um, who have different ideas of what clean means. So I think that like, hopefully this kind of builds a standard and people have a base of like, we're not going to accept anything less than this um, and kind of hold that standard, even if it might be a little bit inconvenient. But I think for the safety of themselves, as well as everybody around, I think that it'll just kind of give people a peace of mind to know that things are being disinfected properly, cleaned properly, you know, um, whatever that may be or whatever that cleanliness standard may look like. You know, hopefully it's kind of enforced and and maintained from the time that, you know, this coronavirus kind of ends and dies down through the duration. And it just kind of becomes a normal thing just for for the athletes as well as just people in general. I mean. I said, I'm like, I see people, you know, some of the the people who work in the stores, like wiping down the the carts. Like you got, I felt like that should have been happening all the time, you know, like not just because the coronavirus is happening, like that should have been happening this whole time just to minimize the germ, you know, like the contamination. I mean, period. Like you have people that are sick that come into the stores. I know Target has pharmacy as well as groceries. So it's a lot of different people coming in and out of certain places. So, you know, hopefully it kind of just becomes a standard of of this is what we will and will not accept for cleanliness. And, and I think that's one positive. Definitely. I've, I've definitely had a bit of a sense that people are staying positive, especially you guys, tennis players, have been having really positive attitudes. And it sounds like you also and hoping that maybe our standards do change because the world is I mean, it's completely flipped upside down. Yeah. But to change topics a little bit here, we have a couple of questions uh, that we want you to clarify for us, maybe talk us through, because we've done some some interesting research on you. So I read that you were actually a righty, and then you started playing lefty. Mm -hmm. Is that true? And like, how? Like, as a kid, like, how old are you? Like, like, two, three year old kid? Or like, what's what's the story here? Yeah. So I mean, my sister's two years, my older sister's two years older than me, and she played tennis. Um, at least a year, year and a half before I started. So she was getting lessons and I would just be like sitting on the side of the court and I hated that. So I would like pick up balls and like throw them at her so that she couldn't hit. Um, but no one in my immediate family is right, is left-handed. So I just did what like my mom played, my sister, everyone around me. So I just did what they were doing. So I just picked up in my right hand. Um, like I'm naturally ambidextrous, but like I, I naturally am left-handed. I eat right left-handed I write left-handed um but I picked up the rack with my right hand and I just started hitting balls with it and then I played with my right hand for like at least two years and I was good enough like I was having rallies and keeping the balls in the court and stuff and it was one day that um I was with my coach I was 
probably like six. And um, I was with my coach, um, Donald Young and his wife. And we were, it was during summer camp. And it was like, you were on four different courts and you would have to hit four balls and shuffle to the next court, hit four balls, shuffle to the next court. And it was three courts of that. And so I would, every time that I would have to shuffle in between the set, like I would kept falling. And my coach was like, okay, something's wrong with her. And then every time I would go back for overheads, like I would tip over and like fall. So my coach thought that I was like slow. He's like, maybe, you know, something's really wrong with her. You know, she, I just think that maybe she needs to go get checked out. <laughs> like, he thinks that something's wrong with me. And, um, and so then one day, um, Miss Young took me on one of the courts and she made me put the racket in my left hand because Donald is naturally right-handed, but he switched to lefty. So she was like, just put your racket in your left hand and see what happens. So we started doing stuff in my left hand. I couldn't make contact with the ball. I couldn't do anything. And I was so mad, but like they both made me kind of like stick with it. And then I stopped falling. And so they're like, oh, okay, that's what was wrong with her. Like her balance and everything was off because I wasn't naturally right-handed. So I guess that was like my body's way of telling me like, uh, -uh. <laughs> so, so, um, yeah, that was kind of like my, my story of, of kind of how I switched from righty to lefty, but I'm glad I did. That's unique. Yeah. Left-handed are like lefties are so prized possessions on tour. I got to say, and I know that this is going to be a natural follow-up for me because Martina Navratilova is a lefty and that's someone I learned that maybe influenced your net rushing game. You have one of the most unique games on tour, so much variety slice, touch, volleys. Is that uh, a true fact? It is. Yeah. I've always um, loved watching her play when I was younger. I just w liked watching her because she wore glasses and I did too, because she wore glasses when she played and I wore glasses when I played and she was left-handed. Um, but as I got older, I kind of like, I really liked the way that she carried herself on the court, her competitiveness. She was very like spunky and very feisty. And that's kind of like how I am. So I kind of just kind of gravitated towards her um, in that regard, as well as her game style. Um, so, yeah, she's definitely a, a game idol and a tennis idol of mine um, for me growing up. Well, that's awesome to have someone like Martina Navratilova as your, as your idol. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey everyone, you're listening to the Tennis.com podcast with special guest Taylor Townsend. The lefty is telling us who inspired her game style and how she actually started off playing tennis as a righty. Keep listening. You know, speaking of being shaped and things that uh, have helped you and made you the person that you are today, you recently did a behind the racket with uh, Noah Rubin, and it was um, a fairly emotional uh, one. As I was reading, I mean, it was an intense. It was an intense story, to say the least. Um, to be able to get inside yourself and just be super vulnerable and lay all your cards out there for the public was that hard for you or did you find it easy did it like take some weight off your shoulders well Noah's one of my really good friends on tour like I've known him probably since I was 11 years old 
So, I mean, I told him from the beginning, like I teased him about behind the racket, but I told him that, like, I was really proud of him for the platform that he had created to be able to like, for athletes to be able to tell their story, like in an uncensored way. And so I had always wanted to share this part of my story, but I was just a little bit nervous of who I told it to, if that makes sense. Because I wasn't 100% sure that my message was going to be relayed in the way that was, that I wanted it to be relayed. Like, I know that it's not the most politically correct. I know that, you know, my mom is friends with people who work in certain, um, for newspaper publishings and stuff like that. So I just kind of had to be careful and really think about like who I wanted to share that piece with. And, um, I trust Noah and I asked him if I could kind of write it myself and then he, I'll send it to him and he can edit it. But I typed that up, wrote it up myself. And, um, I just trusted Noah to be able to use his platform to, to, for me to tell my story, a piece of my story that a lot of people didn't really know. It was just kind of like blank space. It was, it wasn't necessarily hard because I knew that Noah was going to honor my wishes of like knowing that like it would have been told in the correct way. Um, but I was kind of nervous about the response that I was going to get, to be honest. Um, and I got actually a lot of like really positive responses from people just with a lot of support. I didn't really realize like, you know, obviously things happen, but you know, a lot of people don't really talk about it. Um, so I just kind of wanted to, be one of those people to say, Hey, this is something that happened to me and maybe give other athletes or people a voice to be able to say, okay, yeah, this happened as well. Because it is just, it is part of what happens with athletics, entertainers, actors, actresses, like all these kind of industries where you start at a really young age, certain, some of these things happen in some way, shape or form, just because you are a minor, you're younger and you have your guardians are supposed to be making sure that things are taken care of for you in the right way. So ultimately, I'm really happy that I did it. And I thank Noah for being able to allow me to do that and um, to share my story. But ultimately, looking back, like I'm really happy with the response that I got and, and just being able to, to see that I was able to inspire and touch other people as well. Did you find that a lot of people reached out to you because they had similar situations that happened to them or not so much? Not not so much similar situations, but I did have like kids reach out to me saying that, you know, they've had issues with their parents or their parents are going through a divorce or their parents are, you know, just kind of like asking for advice of like how they should do things or, or just like, hey, I just need needed someone to talk to. So it wasn't necessarily about kids like talking bad about their parents or anything like that, but it was more so of like a kid seeing that there was another person who's kind of gone, that's been in their situation or have gone through like hardships that they may have never known. So, um, I did quite get a lot of, of responses from like kind of adolescents and people like younger teenagers or people in their late teens. Um, which was really cool. And I just tried to to answer as many questions as I could, or just kind of like give positive feedback. And there is one kid who actually explained that his parents were getting divorced and he was ha- really struggling with that a lot. And, you know, he, his tennis was struggling because he didn't, they didn't have money to, you know, get him equipment and get rackets strung and he couldn't afford string. And 
all this kind of stuff. And so that really touched me because my parents got divorced when I was 12. So I understood the situation that he was in. And um, I went down and, and I got as much stuff as I could. And I shipped him a huge box of like rack, old rackets that I had used, four reels of string, um, like four different packets of grips, like wristbands, all different kinds of things that I could put together to give to him. And I shipped like that huge box over to him because I was like, hopefully this will help you out. And, and, um, you know, that kind of touched me and he was really grateful and appreciative. So it was just really cool that, you know, in sharing that piece that I could help someone in a direct way as well, you know, you definitely did. It's so sweet of you. Yeah. It's, it's interesting how something like Noah's behind the racket has allowed players to really connect I think more so with yourselves being able to put these things into words because it's scary. I know Irina did one as well. We've had Noah on the podcast. I mean, it's definitely a hard thing to do, but can be so rewarding. But speaking of younger people, on uh, on Twitter, we saw you call out Coco Goff saying you have mm. an idea for TikTok um, and how you want to do a TikTok teams and battle. Can you tell yeah. us a bit more about what your vision is? <laughs> Yeah, I was just like, we should like all these tennis people are on TikTok all of a sudden. So I was like, we should have like tennis TikTok teams, like a draft. And um, but because it's my idea, then I called Coco because like she's a OG TikToker. Like cause I honestly don't even know how to really work the app. I don't understand it 100 percent. So I definitely would need someone who's younger to be able to explain to me how to properly work it. So that was part of my reason. But um, yeah, I just thought that would be really fun and just a way to kind of connect the tennis world. Like I thought that would be really funny and just kind of like battle, battle TikTok. (laughs) So you do one and you pass the floor to someone else and you pass the floor and you kind of just go back and forth. Um, And it's just, you know, my idea was just, you know, kind of like battle TikToks, just Mm -hmm. something fun, kind of lighthearted and and it could get everybody involved. Um, That's the competitor in you. Yeah, I guess. And <laughs> the creative something. mind, yes. <laughs> yeah, just something different that, like, you know, you wouldn't normally do or or you maybe talk to someone you normally wouldn't talk to while you're on tour. But it's just out of, outside of the competitive setting. It's just something a little bit fun and, like, lighthearted that, that can bring us all together as a sport. Well, I think my most favorite part of this entire podcast has been you a 23 soon to be 24 year old saying that I need a the younger people to teach me how to do this and I just find that hilarious because you are still very young and you are in the perfect age to be doing TikToks and I think on that note I mean I think we're gonna end with that and just want to thank you so much for taking the time and um yeah, it's been awesome talking to you and connecting with you. And hopefully you get to share some of your uh, paintings and you'll be playing, you know, Mozart by the end of this quarantine. Can't wait for you to post that on TikTok. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, no, thank you guys for having me. It's been great. It's been awesome. Thanks, Taylor. From the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, this has been the Tennis.com Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to stay caught up. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and every major listening app, as well as tennis.com slash podcasts. You can also see the videos of our episodes on Tennis Channel's YouTube page and tennis.com's Facebook page. We're your hosts, Nina Pantic and Irina Falcone. We'd like to thank our team, 
Editor and audio designer and video editor, Christina Koseva. Producers, Alexa March and Sean O'Malley. And executive producers, Shelby Coleman, Kyle Einhorn, and Andy Chu.